Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to go ahead and read verses 9 through 22. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. Holy Scripture says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of creeping things of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of God and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, Our prayer is that this particular passage might help us to walk with God the way that Noah did and to do all that you command us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 8, we learned that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that therefore the Lord intended to blot out man from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, in the thick darkness of those evil times, there was one ray of hope shining through the gathering storm clouds. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, verse 8. This plot of verses 1 through 8 now unfolds in greater detail in verses 9 to 22. The beginning of verse 9 introduces the whole section that runs through chapter 9, verse 29. 
Verse 9 begins, these are the generations of Noah. This is a heading alerting us to the fact that we will be learning about significant events that flow from Noah's life. And after the introductory statement, we get a summary of Noah's life in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 describes Noah's character in three different ways. First, Noah was a righteous man. And there are two things that we should be thinking about when we learn that Noah was a righteous man. First, Noah was in a right relationship with God through faith. When the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews was identifying examples of Old Testament saints who lived by faith, the first man he selected was Abel whom we met in Genesis chapter 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. The second man he selected was Enoch, whom we met in Genesis chapter 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. The third man he selected was Noah, whose faithfulness is attested here in Genesis chapter 6. By faith, Noah. I'll come back to Hebrews 11, verse 7, a little bit later. But throughout Scripture, we learn that faith, not faith in faith, not faith in one's own self, not faith in some vague higher power, but faith in the living God and in the promises of God is foundational to having a right relationship with God. In fact, the only way to be in right relationship with God is through faith in Jesus. As we learn in Romans chapter 3, that we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation or as an atoning sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. Right outward conduct cannot make you right with God. But if you are right with God through faith, then you can be sure that right outward conduct will follow like good fruit growing on a healthy tree. And that's the second thing we should be thinking about in the declaration that Noah was a righteous man. Namely, that Noah lived righteously. Noah was right with God because he trusted God. And consequently, Noah demonstrated practical righteousness in his everyday life. The letter of 1 John says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 1 John 3, 7. What's the alternative? There's only one alternative. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Noah was in the small first group. His deeds were righteous. He conducted his affairs with integrity. He was just in his dealings. He treated people fairly, decently, generously, kindly. Although human beings filled the earth with violence, Noah was characterized by peace, patience, kindness. Verse 9 continues, Noah was a righteous man, blameless 
in his generations. The, the word translated blameless can also be rendered complete, sound, unblemished, intact. This character quality stands in stark contrast to the corruption of the human race. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. Verse 12. Other people were corrupt, dysfunctional, out of whack, unruly, morally diseased, ruined. But Noah stood apart from the general corruption. He had it together, so to speak. Not because he was a high achiever, but because he had found grace and had learned to trust God. Noah embodied Paul's later instruction. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Titus 2.2. Day after day, Noah walked with God. That's the third description. Noah kept company with God and went God's way. Noah did not live righteously because he was devoted to a complex system of righteousness. Instead, he lived righteously because he was devoted to the Lord and stayed close to the Lord. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, Psalm 23.3. God set the pace for Noah. And Noah kept putting one foot in front of the other. How wonderful when a man humbly walks with the Holy One. After After telling us that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, in verse 10, verses 11 and 12 proceed to tell us about the world's moral condition at this stage in history. Unlike the morally intact Noah, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, verse 11. Unlike the spiritually upright Noah, the earth was filled with violence, verse 12. Unlike Noah, who walked with God, the earth was populated with people who were doing life on their own terms. And that never goes well. In his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul contrasts the way of the Lord with the way of sinful man. And here's what he writes at the beginning of chapter 3. Remind them, referring to believers, re remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What are ungodly people like? Self-willed, disobedient, selfish, critical, quarrelsome, harsh, short-tempered, malicious, envious, and hateful. That is what is in the heart of ungodly people, even if they manage to cover it up with a shell of public respectability. But when God gives people over to their unrepentant hearts, the outcome is a self-absorbed, short-fused, highly critical, verbally abusive, finger-pointing, and fist-throwing society. Ring any bells? That is violent 
across the board. Violence between human beings is the inevitable outcome when those human beings are at war with God. You will either walk with the Prince of Peace and have peace, or you will walk with the venomous serpent and have violence. There's no other alternative. The end of verse 12 adds an important detail. For all flesh, why, 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 is, why is the earth corrupt? For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So this makes it clear that the fundamental problem upon the earth is, is not air quality, soil quality, weather, weather patterns. The, the problem is people quality. All flesh, God's moral image bearers, had turned away from God, were walking down, down foolish and ruinous paths, and were filling the earth with violence. Now, so as we come to verse 13, verses 9 to 12 have set the stage. There is one righteous man in a corrupt and violent world, and now in verses 13 to 21, God speaks to Noah. God informs Noah about the impending judgment upon the world, and God instructs Noah about how Noah and his family will be kept alive while everyone else is swept away. Let's walk through these verses 13 to 21. In verse 13, God tells Noah about the coming judgment. The end of all flesh is near. Why? Because all flesh have become conduits, conduits of violence, which goes right along with the corruption of verses 11 to 12 and the wickedness of back in verse 5. We are told in Proverbs chapter 6 that hands that shed innocent blood and a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that make haste to run to evil are an abomination to the Lord. Although the Lord is patient and is willing to forgive anyone who repents, there comes a time when sinners are so entrenched in their wickedness that the opportunity for repentance is long past and enough is enough. That time has arrived here in Genesis chapter 6. Therefore, God makes this sobering promise. I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 13. Now, when God reveals to Noah what is about to happen, it is evident that God wants Noah to adjust his life to what is about to happen. So the sobering promise is followed by practical instruction in verses 14 to 16. Make yourself an ark, verse 14. The word translated ark means box or chest. This wooden box was to be made out of gopher wood and covered with pitch inside and out. I've got a few quotes here from... Jonathan Safferty, he says some really helpful things about some of these details. He points out that this pitch might have been made from pine resin mixed with charcoal and used for waterproofing and even impact resistance. This box, of course, was no ordinary box. The big box was to have three levels and many rooms, literally nests, that's the word, there would be nesting areas for the living creatures on board the ark as well as living space for Noah's family and places to store food. There was to be a single door on one side and a roof on top. The word translated roof has also been translated as 
window or skylight. It's difficult to nail down exactly uh, what, it, what it refers to, but it very plausibly indicates a place for light to shine in and may also indicate a place for some ventilation. The arch dimensions were 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. If a single cubit was approximately 18 inches long or a foot and a half long, then the arc would be about 450 feet long, longer than a football field. It would be about 75 feet wide, a little less than half the width of a football field, and 45 feet high, a little taller than a three-story building. The ark had a volume of around 1.5 million cubic feet, which Jonathan Safferty indicates is the equivalent volume of over 340 semi-trailers. The ark had sufficient space for thousands of animals, as many as were necessary to bring about all the animals that are alive on the earth today. Not surprisingly, the creator knew the proper dimensions for a flood-proof floating box. My final quote from Jonathan Safferty is this. He says, there is very good reason for the proportions of the real ark. Not necessarily the ones you've seen pictures of, you know. Uh, Such a shape is extremely stable in the water. Indeed, river barges have been built to the same proportions and proved almost impossible to capsize. The dimensions are also ideal for comfort because the ark's shape tends to resist rotational motions that destabilizes a boat or make the ride uncomfortable. The ark had a big purpose, namely to preserve and be the exclusive living quarters for Noah and Noah's family and the appointed animals for over one year. Now, after instructing Noah to build an ark, God gives the reason why in verses 17 to 20. Why has God instructed Noah to build an ark? God says in verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. What what becomes clear is that the ark was God's appointed means of keeping a a precious few people alive, while outside the ark, everything that is on the earth shall die. Outside the ark, destruction and death. Inside the ark, preservation and life. Outside God's appointed means of salvation, judgment and ruin. Inside God's appointed means of salvation, life and peace. Those are, again, the only two options. Allowing for some ventilation in the skylight roof area, the ark was basically a fully enclosed sea vessel that was designed to withstand the devastating floodwaters. In chapter 7, we learn that the ark floated on the face of the waters, Genesis 7, 18. So the ark is a fully enclosed floating sea vessel that will protect its occupants from the judgment to come. Noah and Noah's sons and all their wives and all the appointed pairs of birds and animals and creeping things shall come and find refuge. 
in the ark. At the heart of God's promise to preserve life through the ark is his promise to establish his covenant with Noah. In verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you. The concept of covenant is hugely important in the Bible. I mean, just think about how, how the world gets started. It says in Genesis 1, 28 that God blessed the first man and the first woman. God's blessing, God's blessing rested on humanity and on the whole creation. But that blessing was quickly lost. It faded from the scene and accursedness marched onto the scene through human sin. The serpent was cursed. In Genesis 3.14, the ground was cursed in Genesis 3.17. Cain was cursed from the ground in Genesis 4.11. And in general, human beings had to deal with all kinds of conflict and pain and heartache and death. And now in Genesis chapter 6, God's judgment is coming upon the whole world. And here's the question. Where can a sinful human being turn? in order to rediscover the blessing of God? And the answer is, as you're reading through your Bible, be on the lookout for God's covenant. Because when God makes a covenant, he is promising to bless someone and to bring blessing through someone to a wider group of people. And so we should be looking for Whenever God is making a covenant and having the attitude that I want to bring myself under the blessing of that covenant by trusting the promises of God. Of course, here in, here in verse 18, God doesn't actually establish his covenant with Noah, and we don't know the details yet. That's going to come in chapter 9. Right now, God is simply promising that he will establish his covenant with Noah. Finally, in terms of what God tells Noah in verses 13 to 21, God instructs Noah to store up food, every sort of food, in order to have physical nourishment for his household and for all, his, for all the animals while they are on the ark. Can you imagine storing up enough food in advance to feed a family of eight and a very large number of animals for an entire year? That is no small task. Verse 22, we learn that Noah, we learn how Noah responded to God's word. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now there is more here than the mere fact that, that, that Noah obeyed God. But we must not miss the fact that Noah did truly render obedience to the instructions God had given him. Noah was a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Noah was a blessed man, for Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Noah's obedience in verse 22 confirms that Noah was indeed a righteous man, blameless in his generation, a man who walked with God. Genesis Chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. Now, there is one primary lesson from our passage that I want to drive home to our hearts. I'm going to state it twice. The first time in terms of Noah, the second time in terms of you, and then we'll unpack it. Okay, Here, here's the lesson stated in terms of Noah. 
God's promise concerning the future and God's instruction about how to prepare for this promised future governed Noah's life. And here's the same lesson applied to you. God's promise concerning the future and God's instruction about how to prepare for this promised future must govern your life. Now let's unpack this. God made promises to Noah. God promised to destroy the entire world with a flood. And at the same time, God promised to save Noah and his family. Now notice that God did not allow Noah the option of treating these promises like abstract theories that made no practical difference in his life. That was not an option for Noah, and that is not an option for you. God told Noah to order his practical day-to-day life in accordance with the promise. Make yourself an ark, for a day is coming. Gather Gather and store up food, for a day is coming. This wasn't the sort of thing that Noah could do over the course of a long weekend or by pulling an all-nighter. Do you have any idea how long it would take, would have taken Noah to carry out these instructions? How long would it have taken Noah to build a 450-foot by 75-foot by 45-foot ark of wood? How long would it have taken him to obtain the wood and fashion it into rightly-sized construction material and then put it all together? Although the Bible doesn't say how long it took and allowing for Noah to have had help from his three sons and possibly others, this seems at the very least, at the very least, like a multi-year project. And perhaps it took several years or even decades. But, but we don't need to know the exact time frame. Whether it was three years or 30 years, the point is that Noah would have had to take a long time to build the ark. It also would have taken taken Noah a long time to to gather all of the food necessary to feed his family and the animals for an entire year. And so what is evident is that God wanted Noah to be invested in God's promise. God wanted Noah to adjust his life to God's promise. God wanted Noah to devote massive amounts of energy, time, and resources to prepare for a future reality. God wanted Noah to live by faith. Faith is the essential link between hearing God's promise and adjusting your life to the future that God has promised. A man would not devote years of thought, energy, and resources to building a massively large wooden box to float in water unless he believed that God had spoken and that a deluge of flood water was coming and that this massively large wooden box, which would otherwise be irrelevant, was necessary to survival. God's command to Noah to build the ark was a call upon Noah to make it very clear that the world around him was not Noah's true home. Noah was not to live for the here and now. Noah was not to lay up treasures on earth. Noah was not to live according to what only his physical eyes could see. Noah was not to live in the same manner as the people around him. The world of Noah's day was about to be destroyed. The corrupt society and depraved culture was about to be swept away. Everyone else believed 
that the here and now was the only thing that mattered. Everyone else was making investments in the present world. Everyone else wanted to build an impressive earthly portfolio. Everyone else wanted immediate comforts and pleasures. Everyone else wanted to get ahead in the world. God wanted Noah to live radically differently than everyone else. Think about it. Everyone else was about to perish. Everyone else's plans were about to come crashing down. Everyone else's careers and projects and hobbies and artistic endeavors and business investments and accomplishments and wealth and fashion were about to be washed away. God wanted Noah to do something that looked odd and foolish in the minds of all those people. God wanted, to, God wanted Noah to live with confidence that the only stable and lasting future is the future that God has promised for his people. And God wanted the future that he had promised to practically govern Noah's life. Noah was to live his life in such a way that would not make sense unless God's word is true. Unless God's promise is true. Unless the future is going to happen just as God said. And God's promise is true. And Noah believed God. According to Hebrews 11, true faith is having confidence in the unseen things that God has promised are true. And therefore living in light of those unseen things. God's word declares what is true and the faithful believer hears and believes what God says and is not in bondage to what his physical eyes or his political eyes or his financial eyes can see. The believer is free from bondage to this world and is free to lose his life for the sake of God's promise because the believer knows that he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 11 verse, verses 1 and 7 say, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 7, by faith. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. Noah believed God concerning future unseen events. God stood in, I'm sorry, Noah stood in awe of God and God's word and God's plan and Noah lived accordingly. From the time that Noah received the command to build the ark until the time many years later when he went into the ark, Noah staked his entire life on the reliability of God's promise. Therefore, Noah invested his life, energy, thought, time, and resources in constructing an ark and gathering food in anticipation of God fulfilling his promise. Of course, Noah would have had to carry out other duties as a husband, as a father, as a provider, as the member of an extended family. He would have walked in love to the people around him. But Noah's overall life was shaped by the promise of God. How would you live if God told you that the entire world was about to be undone? What counsel would you give Noah? I might give him this counsel, borrowing heavily from the Apostle Peter. Noah, 
since the whole world is about to perish. What sort of man ought you to be in a life of holiness and godliness, waiting for the coming of the day of judgment, because of which the earth will be flooded with water and every civilization on earth will be swept away? But according to God's promise, you are waiting for the dawn of righteousness in a renewed world. Therefore, dear Noah, since you are fully expecting these things to come to pass, live accordingly. In reverent fear and holy joy, build the ark, gather the food, hold fast to the Lord and hold loosely to everything else and keep yourself unstained from the world. God's promise governed Noah's life. With every cut of wood, every piece of wood fastened into place, every application of pitch to cover the wood, every room prepared for the animals and for food storage, with every vegetable and fruit and grain prepared for the voyage ahead, with every ounce of painful toil invested in the ark, Noah was making it clear that this present world was not his home. Noah believed God's promise, and his everyday life declared the truth of Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, here's the thing. The way, that, the way that God called Noah to live in the years leading up to the flood is the way that he calls you and me to live in the days leading up to the final judgment. The New Testament is crystal clear about this. Although God has not called us to build an ark, God has called us to adjust our everyday lives to his promise and the parallel between God's promise to Noah and God's promise to us is profound the destruction of the ancient world by means of the flood corresponds to the destruction of this present world by means of fire the apostle Peter makes this connection clear in second Peter chapter 3 listen to verses 5 to 7 and 10 to 14 from 2 Peter chapter 3. The heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. As they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Brothers and sisters, we must live in a way that makes no sense to the people who are chasing after all the wrong things. We must live in a way that makes no sense to people who don't believe that God has appointed a day when he's going to judge the world in 
righteousness and condemn the ungodly and bring this filthy world through an unimaginable cleansing by holy fire. We must live in a way that makes no sense to people who don't believe that God has promised new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But if you, like me, know that God has spoken, that God told Noah that he would destroy the ancient world, and he did, and that he has told us that he will destroy this present world, and he will, and that he will preserve his chosen ones through the judgment and bring them into a new world, and that he commands us to make it clear that our life is not bound up with this world, but instead we are to live in light of the glorious future that he has promised. If we have understood these things by faith, then we must put everything on the line for the sake of God's promise. Everything. Like Noah, we must live with confidence that the only stable and lasting future is the future that God has promised to his people. And if you understand these things, then you will build your entire life on Jesus and his words. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. You will store up for yourself treasures in heaven and not on earth. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Invest yourself in the kingdom of God, not in the projects of men. You will find your security in the faithfulness of God, not in the deceitfulness of riches. Matthew 6, 24. You will be generous to people who can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Luke 15, Luke 14, 14. You will consider everything else as rubbish in comparison to the infinite worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Brothers and sisters, don't reflect the character of the world, but reflect the character of God to the world. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Shine brightly for the Lord in lives of holiness and godliness. And when the world is aghast that you are not on the right side of their revisionist history, when they take cheap shots at you or slander you or persecute you, let the beauty of the Lord put joy in your heart. For Jesus said, rejoice and be glad when that happens, for your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 5.12. And always remember, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the man or the woman who has staked his entire life on the promise of God, will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, this is a present word of instruction to us. Father, I pray that you would awaken us from dullness, sloppiness, distraction, triviality. I pray that you would focus the entirety of our hearts and our minds on the unseen things, and that you would give us grace to follow the Lord Jesus Christ 
with our whole heart, in whose name we pray. Amen.